Trigger warning. The following episode contains references to Gore Human suffering Factual inaccuracies Several entitled people making light of all these things. If any of the aforementioned topics cause you discomfort, you may want to listen to a different episode. Oh, I found a doctor who can do my surgery really cheap, and his name's Dr. America. I'm Sean. That's right, the city is made of domed palaces, and gold paves the streets, except no one lives here. Would you like to come live in my city? I'm Andy. Ferdinand Demera wins rascality. I'm Adam. But wait, there's more. Act now, and we'll throw in the Statue of Liberty, the Brooklyn Bridge, Grant's Tomb, just $9.99, no shipping and handling. I'm Kelly, and this is Acid Pop. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Acid Pop. Today, we're going to be talking about con artists. Is that people that put together conventions, like Comic-Con? Yes, indeed. Oh, I, th- I thought it was people who made pictures of uh, Ricardo Montalban. Watercolor. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of everything. So, con comes from confidence, as in confidence man. Confidence trickster. And confidence from Latin confidere. Calm here is an intensifier, so it sort of means very, and fidere means to trust. Mm, I very trust you. Very to trust me, please. <laughs> uh, All the money for good time. <laughs> the current use dates back to about the 1800s, and it refers, obviously, to the confidence needed to pull off a scam. Hmm. Scam, by the way, is of unknown origins. <laughs> yeah, I always thought the confidence was like for the person being tricked. Like you said, oh, I have such confidence that this person is not tricking me. You know, you you install false confidence, but it's it's the balls that it takes yes. to step mm. up and try and do that. And w- and yet we've made it a good word. That guy yeah. has such confidence. Yeah, I think it was good before it was bad. <laughs> And swindle comes from German schwindler, (laughs) which means giddy person, extravagant speculator, or cheat. Drive the new Volkswagen schwindler. (laughs) Yeah, you like it, honk honk. (laughs) Speaking of Volkswagen these days, that's not far off. It's a bit warm in here. Could you open the schwindler? (laughs) And the fear of robbers, which is the closest one I could find, was harpaxophobia. Hmm. Does that cover like hamburglers? <laughs> Depends on how terrified of you them you are. I am I am terrified every time I go through a McDonald's drive-thru that somebody will just carjack my ass. <laughs> there are other uh, fast food joints, you know. But that's the one with the hamburglar. I mean, we have what the Noid. What what are some other <laughs> fast food mascots that ruin your day? Is that Cookie Crisp guy? Oh yeah, that, that he was kind of a burglar too. We don't really have science today, but I wanted to do something a little bit similar. I found a sort of list of warning signs of a con artist. This comes from a book called The Art of Fear. And it's not solely about con artists, but con artists fall under the umbrella of the people it's warning you about, which are people trying to control you. Donald Trump's Hmm. follow-up book to The Art of the Deal. (laughs) (laughs) The first one is forced teaming. Teaming. Forced teaming. So this is when a person tries to force a sense of us where uh, none exists. Yeah. So they use like loyalty language, or managers. They use language like we're in this together yeah. and people like us know how it goes. Yeah. 
And the goal is to create the false sense that they're on your side. They weren't? (laughs) Second one is typecasting. And this sort of, it's pretty much nagging. Yeah. Um, It's the (laughs) use of an insult to get someone to pay attention and prove their supposed (laughs) assumption wrong. So it's something like, oh, I can tell you're a bit of a snob. A woman like you would never talk to me. (laughs) And then the only way to prove the wrong is to start a conversation. So instead, just flip them off and keep drinking calmly. <laughs> See, I, I feel like in a, in a, if I was running a con, that would be something like a guy's passing by like, hey, you want to watch? Ah, no, you look too poor for this watch. <laughs> yeah, there you go. The third one is charm and niceness. <laughs> that doesn't work. I thought that was a bit vague and not particularly helpful. I like to think I'm nice, if not charming, and I never try to con anybody. <laughs> well, you're wasting your talent. It's a long con. Uh, the next one is too many details. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> People who lie tend to give more information than is necessary in an attempt to sell a lie. Yeah. When I worked in retail, like one of the common ones that they would warn you about when you were on a cash register was somebody coming up and they would like ask for a particular set of change for this 20. Can I get like a 10, a five, four ones, three quarters, two dimes and a nickel? And then like, as you were doing that, they'd like change, be like, oh, no, no, wait, wait, wait. I actually wanted yeah. this instead, and they just keep doing that. That's a pretty common scam, I think. Yeah, I, I only had the pleasure of that happening to me twice, but the thing is, I'm really good at math, so they couldn't change it fast enough that I couldn't keep up. I'm like, no, I got it. Keep going, man. What, what you need? I got you. <laughs> See, I'm not, I'm not good enough at, ma- at math to do that, but I'm always, if somebody starts doing that, I'm like, okay, let me set your 20 way over here. Yeah. Like, can I get change for this 20? Oh, and I want it this way. Oh, never mind. Here, let me hand you this back and you give me the 20. Like, no, 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 no. You give me all that money. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The next one is the use of I promise when you don't ask for a promise. Wink. <laughs> so, yeah. Someone who's not trying to get you to do something generally isn't making random promises and assurances. <laughs> yeah, you should also look out for pinky promises and blood oaths. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> next is loan sharking. Now, this is not literal loan sharking, although I guess that is a con too. But this is the attempt to create a sense that you owe someone. So this is someone doing you a favor or creating the illusion that you're doing a favor to create a sense of obligation. Yeah. And this can be as small as like helping you carry your groceries to your car or offering you directions. The next one is refusing to hear no. So anybody who's ever tried to sell me something on the street. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, con artists are masters of deflecting no, and so are most salespeople. It's it's the same scale. Skill. I am not good at say. Not, I'm not good at say, sailing, selling <laughs> anything to anybody, especially sailboats. Yep. If you say no and the person keeps pushing and deflecting, it's probably a sign that you should just walk away. What if they have a really good deal for me? <laughs> they know what you need. Hey, buddy, you want to buy another baby? <laughs> so let's move on to our acid pop quiz. True or false? There's a new victim of identity theft every one minute. Hmm. I'm going to say that's false because it seems like there should be way more. <laughs> yeah, sure. Is it at least every once a minute or <laughs> at most? It's every one minute. Exactly. I'm going to say true. This is false and Adam was in on it or was get, getting the picture. It's every two seconds. Whew, it was me. Don't give credit to that guy. <laughs> Andy gets 100% credit. Adam gets 50%. I wonder how many seconds it would take till everybody on the planet had their identity stolen at that rate. <laughs> but everybody's identity just moved over to the left one. <laughs> yeah. I'm Bob, I guess. Change places. 
6% of consumers were victims of identity theft last year, and you're more likely to be a target if you've been included in a data breach, obviously. Yeah. And at this point, haven't we all been included in a data breach? Yeah. Yes. In 2014, identity theft victims lost a combined $15.4 billion. I hope that wasn't just from one person. (laughs) Poor guy. (laughs) He's just a part-time clerk at McDonald's. See, and this this has happened to me a couple times where, like, all of a sudden, I'll, I'll, I was working and my phone will start going crazy. Like, $600 to computer parts company. Like, uh. No. <laughs> Luckily, my credit card immediately shuts that down. And it's never really an annoyance. I mean, I have to change all my stuff on, like, Amazon and all that. The yeah. most annoying thing ever was when my Xbox password got stolen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I was here when that happened. Because it was a huge hassle to change all that. Yeah, I'll bet. Microsoft is like, oh, yeah, we're locking it down. Like, why didn't you before? Like, nope, it's done. You're locked. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> The most popular scam of 2017 was fake merchandise sales. That is, people selling things online and then never delivering them. I'm going to say false. I'll say true. I feel like it was a big one at some point, but I I mean, 2017. I don't know if they were trying to scam me, but I never got that $3 thing I ordered from Etsy. (laughs) (laughs) True. This is true. Ah. Nearly one third of fraud complaints were over fake sales. It's topping the list for the third consecutive year. All right. We'll stay on top. Always read your eBay descriptions because a lot of times it'll be like, okay, here's the case for an important movie that came out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hot tip. Don't pay for an item before you get the item. If you're buying things on Craigslist or the like, and don't pay for anything in iTunes gift cards ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. People trying to sell a car in California are unlikely to list it on Craigslist in Kansas. Yeah. Well, I I got, I I listed a bunch of Legos on Craigslist because I just want to get rid of a big tub of them. And I got a bunch of scams from like, hello, I am from California and will be sending money order. Please to send Legos to me. (laughs) Money order will be twice for 10 times the amount you charged and please send the rest back to me. We get that all the time at the bank. I got that once when I was trying to sell my mattress in Florida. Con artists are often compulsive liars. I mean, wouldn't they have to be? I'm going to say false because they need to be in control. You do need to be like a a well-put-together guy to con somebody, right? I'll say false, too. True. This is false. Damn it. (laughs) Con artists lie with a purpose, not out of a compulsion. A compulsive liar will often tell complex, contradictory, and unbelievable lies. Yeah. A con artist will pick and choose their lies with care. Hey, buddy, you want to buy a new blender? That's a wristwatch. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) The new blenders. You don't understand. This is one of them royal blenders. It was owned by Meghan Markle. (laughs) Moving on to short answer, where does the phrase, I have a bridge to sell you, come from? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Sir Bridge Sellington. <laughs> the original pitch to the queen. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's, it's the guy who uh, was originally going to build the Golden Gate Bridge, and they're like, get out. Why does our bridge need gates? Uh-huh. I'm going to say it was somebody who was trying to like crowdsource a bridge. He's like, I've got this great idea for a bridge. I just need you to pitch in like $5. So this comes from a dude named George C. Parker, who made a habit of selling new immigrants to the U.S. the Brooklyn Bridge. (laughs) It's like selling people stars. A lot of European immigrants were used to having um, toll bridges. So he was able to sell them the bridge under the understanding that they would be able to collect tolls once they Mm. owned it. Of course. Um, what did he charge for a bridge? I don't know. More <laughs> than cents. once, the cops had to remove his victim's newly set up toll booths from the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> this bridge is getting ridiculous. 
Paid eight tolls just to get across. <laughs> he also sold Grant's tomb, the Statue of Liberty, <laughs> and other popular landmarks. Wow. This guy's got to be one of the best con men around, right? <laughs> hey, I own that Statue of Liberty. No, 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 no. Don't question it. Want to buy a monument? <laughs> so we're all familiar with Frank Abagnale from Catch Me If You Can fame, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Counterfeiter, fake doctor, fake teacher, fake pilot, and real-ish lawyer since <laughs> he did pass the bar. An all-around good guy. <laughs> He was first arrested in France, then served time in Sweden, then was extradited to the U.S. Other than France, Sweden, and the U.S., how many countries was he wanted in? Four. Eight. Twenty-five. Adam is the closest without going over. It is twelve. Hmm. He was wanted in Italy, Spain, Turkey, Germany, Britain, Switzerland, Greece, Denmark, Norway, Egypt, Lebanon, and Cyprus. Wow, four. I think counterfeiting. Really? And that was his big thing, I guess. While in flight to the U.S., he managed to escape during landing, scale a fence, and grab a cab. <laughs> he made it all the way to Canada before being caught again. <laughs> he was locked up, but managed to convince the prison guards that he was an undercover inspector. <laughs> they allowed him to meet an FBI consultant unsupervised outside the prison. Yeah. And he was gone again. Jesus. It's such a good story. He <laughs> had like, the most confidence of any con man. Caught again, he agreed to assist the FBI for another chance at freedom. He worked for them for 40 years. <laughs> that doesn't sound very free. Now a securities consultant, Frank's net worth is estimated at $10 million. Pretty good. All right, moving on to our terms. What I did was collect a bunch of terms for sort of common cons. Common cons. <laughs> and let's see if you know what these are. What is the melon drop? This sounds like the cake drop thing where like, oh, yeah, yeah. you have a guy that's walking around with a watermelon. He's like, oh, no, I dropped it. My wife is really expecting this watermelon for her birthday. And the guy's like, oh, <laughs> shit, I'll go get you. Here's here's $5. Get a watermelon. Yeah. I think it's more, well, close, but like you're walking along and then you you accidentally bump into someone and you drop your melon and they're like, oh, man, you owe me for that melon. That was a super expensive mm-hmm. melon. You're like, we're talking hundreds of dollars for that melon. That was a prize winning melon. <laughs> Both of those sound really plausible. This is indeed a scam about a $100 melon. The term is used generally for any scam where a con artist arranges for a mark to bump into them and drops a supposedly valuable object and demands payment for it. Hey, my Fabergé eggs. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. Why was there a yolk in there? But the name refers to a version of the scam played on Japanese tourists. In Japan, some melons can go for upward of $100, what? So the scammer would drop a $2 melon and then demand 100 bucks for it. Yeah. So those square watermelons that they grow. Oh. Well, I've heard about this. It's it's really crazy. I mean, I'm sure it's just a cultural thing and it makes perfect sense if you're in Japan. But basically, like, they sell melons for the only purpose to be expensive. Like, that's the melon's <laughs> whole job. And so you buy this, like, $500 melon and then you give it to somebody and you're like, look, man, I just gave you a $500 melon. They're like, wow, that's so nice. And, like... That's that's the whole thing. Like, there's nothing special about these melons they besides to, that. They're they're very ex- aesthetically pleasing. They choose the very prettiest melons. Oh it's, sure, it's kind of like pineapples used to be here then, where people would actually rent pineapples for their oh, parties. Yeah. You weren't allowed to eat the pineapple. People yeah. could just you could just be like, look how much money I have. I got a pineapple. <laughs> what is salting? Salting is when you beat somebody so bad at a fighting game that you can extort money from them, and they're so salty. <laughs> this is when you run a restaurant. And you charge for the water, and you put lots and lots of salt in all the food. <laughs> it's when you 
beat someone up for their money so fast you don't have time for the A. <laughs> <laughs> he salted me. <laughs> so this is when you're selling some sort of track of relatively valueless land, hmm. but you seed it with golden gems. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of this one. What is a pig in a poke? <laughs> <laughs> that is the game show where Clark W. Griswold wins a trip to Europe. <laughs> Pig in a poke? Mm-hmm. I think I had that before breakfast this morning. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's you don't where have any obscure movie references, Adam? <laughs> That's where you have a box and you tell people that they can win a prize if they can guess what animal's inside by poking it. <laughs> and everybody guesses pig, but it's actually your naked cousin. <laughs> it's when you trick a police officer into letting you into somewhere you shouldn't be. <laughs> So this is a scam that dates back to the Middle Ages. Apparently, it used to be a thing to sell suckling pigs in bags, called pokes. Uh. In this scam, the salesperson would sell the mark a pig, but when they opened the bag, what they'd find was a stray cat. Ah, this is the hairiest pig I ever saw. This This is also where the phrase cat in a bag comes from. Mm. Wikipedia had like 40 different language versions of this particular phrase. Yeah. Most mostly variations on buy a cat in a sack or buy a pig in a poke. So pig apparently, poke, it's a pretty a common problem. <laughs> What's a badger game? Hmm. These are all really hard. Badger game is where one guy doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you just keep pushing somebody until they give you money. Hey, hey, hey! Give me a dollar. Hey, hey! <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the least imaginative scams. <laughs> I mean, that sounds likely to me. <laughs> In the most basic version of this scheme, a married man is seduced, then caught in the act oh. by the mistress's husband. The honeypot. The uh. husband then threatens to expose the man unless he pays up. Let's uh, give a quick sh- shout out to our founding father, Alexander Hamilton, who totally fell for this one. <laughs> oh, Hamilton. It's okay, Alex. Sex is sort of the easy version of this, but there are a lot of non-sex-based versions of it. Any social taboo will work. For example, getting a Mormon to drink is a pretty common uh, one. Jews uh, fart on a bus? <laughs> I'm tell everybody. Okay, last one. What is a glim dropper? You're not making any of these up, right? I am not making any of these up. Oh, I know this one, I bet. I hope. It's uh, <laughs> the one that was in Zombieland where she... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you shoot Garfield? Yeah. No, no, she she dropped a ring and she's like, oh, I, I can't find my ring. But if you yeah. find it for me, I'll go give you a bunch of money. And then like the guy f- and then somebody else finds it. And the guy's like, oh, hey, I need that. And then they're like, I'll oh, I'll sell it to ring. you. Yeah. And the, he sells it to, for, to her for like half the price that the prize was. Makes sense to me. Okay, that's totally what it is. Yay! <laughs> but that version of it has a different name. The oh. Glim Dropper version of it. Well, first you need a guy with one eye. Oh, I just had one of those. In this scam, a one-eyed man claims to have lost his eye and offers a sizable reward for its return. And then everything unfolds in just the way you described. You just give me a two-eyed guy and I can solve this for you. Like, I I can get it for the ring. Like, oh, no, my engagement ring. I'll pay any because it's like a sentimental thing. I don't think I get sentimental about my eye and then try to pay you more for it than... uh, I'm very sentimental about my eyes. (laughs) That's it for our quiz. Let's move on to our stories. So the first con artist we're going to talk about today is the wonderfully named Gregor McGregor. 
<laughs> Double Gregors. Gregor McGregor was born in Scotland in 1786. No. <laughs> in the 1820s, he spent some time fighting in and around Venezuela. First for the Spanish and then against the Spanish. <laughs> Whoever was paying more, really. <laughs> he was, by all accounts, quite good at it. But well, he's Scottish. <laughs> after the war ended, he um, persuaded King Frederick Augustus, a native king, to sign a document granting him some land off the coast of Honduras. The land had only four rundown buildings on it, and it was swampy, surrounded by jungles, pest ridden, and pretty much uninhabitable. I call it the Malaria Isles. <laughs> Actually, it's called the Mosquito Coast. <laughs> so we're, we're not far off. McGregor then headed to London, and by the time the ship landed, he was Gregor McGregor, Prince of Poyas, a 12,500 square mile land full of gold mines, rare <laughs> fruit, fertile soil, and miraculously, no tropical diseases. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've never even heard of mosquitoes. He lived in a vast domed city with an established civil service, a bank, an army, wow. and a functional government. Oh, this is the Prince of Atlantis. <laughs> He published a book under a, the false name Thomas Strangeways, singing the praise of his new uh, principality. It's <laughs> the worst that's, pseudonym I've ever heard. That's pretty great, though. You just walk up and like, I'm a prince. You want to know how great it is? Just read this other guy's book. <laughs> so all he needed for his new land was investors and settlers, and he found plenty of vo both. On investors alone, he made what equated to millions in today's money. But it's the settlers who got the worst of it. He generously exchanged the settlers' English currency for poyan money, oh, no. <laughs> oh, which they'd surely need in their new country. McGregor bucks. <laughs> it's looked a lot like tree bark. <laughs> then he chartered some ships and sent them on their way. Never to be seen again. Pretty much. In 1822, 240 people set out in two ships for Poyas. Expecting paradise, they found an unsettled swamp, <laughs> no. and most of them soon died of malaria and yellow fever. And shock. Well, <laughs> Only 60 survived. Oh, man. Wow. 50 of them eventually made it back to London. <laughs> <laughs> Holding ropes made out of swamp reeds. <laughs> but and McGregor had already skipped town to France, oh. <laughs> where he was pulling the same scam again, except now Poyas was a republic. <laughs> Things have advanced so much in Poya. Had to refine it. But here's the deal. Like he's like, I have this massive domed city with gold mines and all this wonderful. We have our own currency, but we don't have anybody to live here. Yeah, it's like we have an army, but we need settlers. It's like, well, who's in the army then? So when the French started applying to the French government to move to a non-existent country, the French got suspicious. <laughs> Wait a moment. And McGregor landed in jail. His prison stay was short. And in 1939, he returned to Venezuela, where he persuaded the authorities to grant him a pension for his time as a general in the Venezuelan army. I mean, didn't he already make a million bucks? Like, what's he need a pension for? I, I don't know. <laughs> Poyas remains undeveloped to this day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to Victor Lustig. Hmm. Born in Austria-Hungary to either poor peasants or wealthy aristocrats, depending on when you asked him. <laughs> Victor started his criminal activities small, picking pockets and the like, then became a master card shark and a passionate gambler who could apparently make cards do anything but talk. <laughs> Oddly enough, none of his scams had to do with cards. Well, get up and make your breakfast. <laughs> his first big scam was selling money boxes. Is it like a loot box? <laughs> yeah. Sort of. 
So he'd sell these boxes for between $20,000 and $30,000. Wow. But these miraculous machines could print money. Ah. Okay. Load in a $100 bill, and in just six hours, it would print a perfect replica. So he made a Xerox machine. (laughs) (laughs) And indeed, he could illustrate it doing exactly this. (laughs) I mean, you had to wait there for six hours. I was going to say, those are some patient shills. Yeah, and they would. They'd wait with him for six hours, and the box (laughs) would print a $100 bill, a perfect, (laughs) beautiful $100 bill. Dot matrix noises. <laughs> Even after he sold it, it'd continue to print $100 bills because he'd preload it with three or four of them. Yeah. And each one took six hours to print. <laughs> By the time the stock ran out, Victor was long gone. That's pretty great. I like that he put in such a long, like, it would really work out poorly for him if he's like, it just prints it as fast as you can say it. Just like, oh, you can do it, but it takes a while. You got to wait. It's to get all that detail. Yeah. On at least one occasion, a furious customer, who was actually a cop, found Victor and demanded a refund. Victor managed to persuade him he was operating the machine incorrectly and got paid again for fixing it. Have you tried unplugging it and plugging it back in? But this is not the scam that Lustig is famous for. Huh. No. Lustig is the man who sold the Eiffel Tower. Oh. Twice. Oh, monument guys. <laughs> monument men. I think I've seen that. Yeah. So it started when he read a newspaper article on the sad state of the Eiffel Tower. It needed repair and maintenance, was rusting, and many of the locals considered an eyesore. The government simply couldn't afford to maintain it, and the article suggested selling it for scrap. Well, Victor thought, why don't I sell it for Oh, man. <laughs> he traveled to Paris and contacted some of the biggest iron salvage companies in the area, claiming to represent the government. I am uh, French. (laughs) (laughs) This was all very secret, he explained, as scrapping the Eiffel Tower was rather controversial. From the group, he picked his mark, a guy named André Poisson, a man with low self-esteem who was trying to prove himself. (laughs) Well, with a last name like Fish. (laughs) I'll show them. I'll destroy the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) (laughs) Aspiring young (laughs) supervillain. He convinced this poor guy that he was a corrupt government official, and with a bit of bribery, he could be convinced to take Andre's company. Now, Hi, Andre I'm thought, very corrupt. Andre thought a con man would never ask for a bribe. <laughs> <laughs> Only honest people ask for bribes. Nice. And it worked. He got both the bribe and the price of the Eiffel Tower out of Andre. Nice. How much was it for the Eiffel Tower? None of these had money attached. Uh. So he skipped town. And Andre started calling around, asking when the tower would be dismantled. Yeah. <laughs> so when am I going to get my Eiffel Tower? I got my blowtorch and my hacksaw. You just let me know when to start. People laughed at him. <laughs> oh. Did nothing for his self-esteem. Yeah, it's going to have a sad ending for him, isn't it? <laughs> to protect his reputation, he kept what had happened to him a secret. Oh. Not telling the authorities, which allowed Victor to do it all over again. <laughs> Or Mr. The Fish. same guy. Yeah, I was going to laugh. It was the same guy again. <laughs> the second guy did go to the police. Yeah. And Victor had to flee to America. You don't want to be the guy who goes to the police. It's like, hi, I was stupid enough to try to buy the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> In America, he went back to selling money boxes and making counterfeit bills. He had over 47 identities and escaped jail repeatedly. He was finally caught for good in 1935 and so- sentenced to 35 years in Alcatraz. Oh. Wow. 
How old was he at that point? I didn't have ages. Oh, okay. I was going to say. He- I mean, it's probably variable based on when you asked him. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I do have the age he was born. He yeah. was born in. No, I don't. Oh. That was the other guy. Okay. He was born in the 1700s. Yeah. So it'd be a long life. <laughs> the next guy is amazing. This is Ferdinand Waldo Demera. Wow. Nice. Born in the U.S. or maybe Demera. I don't, I don't know where Demera is. <laughs> Born in the U.S. in the 1920s, Demera's an interesting guy. He was brilliant with a photographic memory and a habit of trying on new identities the way other people try on clothes. Fun. When it comes to fake careers, he made Abignail look like an underachiever. <laughs> he was an astronaut, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> he started out his career by joining a monastery as himself. But when the head of the order told him he didn't have what it took, he started drifting, first from monastery to monastery, and also from identity to identity. He joined the army, went AWOL, joined the navy, staged his own suicide, (laughs) went back to the religious path, and eventually interviewed for the job as the dean of philosophy at a small Catholic college. Wow. Well, with his resume at this point. (laughs) He got the job. (laughs) Taught classes and published a well-received book on child rearing. <laughs> as Doctor French, Thomas Aquinas, <laughs> Doctor French. <laughs> Things were going well until he was caught forging checks and had to skip town again. He was eventually caught by the FBI for going AWOL from the Navy and served a brief stint in prison before leaving, joining another Catholic order in Maine, where he, I kid you not, founded a college, huh. which exists to this day as Walsh University. <laughs> <laughs> Of a proud history. He left in a huff when he wasn't named Chancellor. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't accept anything less. I founded this college, damn you. (laughs) He then joined the Canadian Navy. Hey? Under the name of a doctor he knew, Dr. Sear. Dr. Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this identity would prove challenging. (laughs) He hates maple syrup. (laughs) He served as the ship's doctor during the Korean War. (laughs) Oh. And 16 oh Korean combat casualties were brought on board. Every Ooh. hour. <laughs> Minnie needed major surgery, and Damara was the ship's only doctor. Oh, no. <laughs> he ordered them prepped for surgery, retreated briefly, read and memorized a medical textbook, <laughs> and then proceeded to successfully complete all 16 surgeries, including removing bullets from the wounded and a major chest surgery. Oh, wow. All 16 men survived. (laughs) Unfortunately, this particular heroic act got him some fame. Ah. And his face in the paper. Uh And the real Dr. Sears mother saw it. Well, well, there's got to be more than one Sears out there. Well, it was the same first name, too. Oh, well, still. As her son was in New Brunswick, she contacted the authorities. (laughs) Apparently, my son's a hero. (laughs) Give me a medal. (laughs) embarrassed and wanting to avoid a scandal the canadian navy quietly dismissed him and sent him back to the states well really sorry about dc (laughs) he sold his story to life magazine and enjoyed some fame but that rather complicated his hobby of changing his identity yeah Yeah. for example while passing for a prison warden in texas (laughs) he was found out when one of the prisoners recognized him from his life profile (laughs) Interestingly, his cons generally weren't focused around making money, just around being people. Yeah. Huh. When asked his motivations, he said, rascality. Yeah. <laughs> rascality. I love that. I'm a rascal. <laughs> I got a devil on one shoulder and nothing on the other. <laughs> and he died of heart failure in 1982. 
Oh, way to bring it down. No, no, that's that's just another identity. Gone. <laughs> Kill among us. Yeah, my my greatest role, death. <laughs> there was this really weird TV show many years ago. I, I think it ran for like one or two seasons. It was called The Pretenders. Yeah, I remember, remember the, show? the title. It was basically like a group of people that were so smart that they could do anything. And like wow. one of them decides he doesn't want to be a part of the whatever they're doing, so he runs away. And yeah, just every day he's just basically like, I want to be a doctor today. And so he just goes to a hospital and starts working as a doctor and does great because he's brilliant. Well, that was this guy. Yeah. So how about some stories? Anyone been scammed? Yeah. I mean, I've had my credit card stolen a few times, but that's usually somebody else's fault. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've had our credit card stolen a couple times, but it's always been fine. The bank just like turns off the card and is like, hey, were you buying jewelry in Kentucky? We're like, uh, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like for about for, for a, a winter season, I got to the point where I called up Capital One. I was like, so do you have anything other than just shutting off my card? I was like, yeah, we could text message you to ask you if you purchased something and then sh- and then you could say yes. And then we'll shut off your card. I was like, please do that. Yeah. Because it had been stolen like twice in a row. And then anytime I tried to make a purchase above, I don't know, a hundred bucks, they're like, Oh my God. <laughs> Sean once had someone trying to get insurance under his, uh, oh, yeah. security number, oh. and you had to try to set, shut down your AOL account. Yeah. That was a whole thing. Like I had, I had, an, I used to boast that I had the oldest email in the world because I had an AOL there. email from like 1996. And I just had it for years and I, you know, after a while, I just sort of fell by the wayside and I didn't, you know, use it or care anymore, but I still had it. And then something managed to hack that account and started like sending spam to people that I knew that were like in my address book on that email. Huh. So I basically contacted everybody. I'm like, if you start getting emails asking, you know, for uh, erection pills or whatever, just block that email. <laughs> Cause when they got into the account, they changed the password so that I couldn't get into it anymore. But I was like, ah, whatever, you know, it's just another junk mail thing. I don't, I don't really care. And then one day I got a phone call. It's like, hey, we got your email submission for uh, insurance on your new car. We're just calling up to finalize everything. I was like, uh, what email? And they're like, this AOL email. I'm like, okay, well, that's a problem. <laughs> so I had to call up AOL and try to convince them to shut down this email account. But I didn't have anything. You know, I hadn't set up the AOL account because I was like, you know, 10 at the time. Yeah. And I didn't know any of the credentials for anything anymore because they'd all been changed. And so I just was like trying to convince them, like, look, look at what this email account does. It sends <laughs> erection pills and life insurance policies out. Like, this is not me. This is not a person. Like, just shut it down. That's all I'm asking. And so finally, like, they had to trudge back through the records to back like into the archives yeah and like find like the original security questions where it's like you put in your security questions like what's your mother's maiden name what's you know this thing but i had to do it for my mom and so it was asking me all these questions about her and i was just like i don't know the answer to any of these questions like what street were you born on i'm like i have no idea and like <laughs> she just kept going through the list and i finally got one of them right and she's like okay i'm gonna call that good enough and then she shut down the. <laughs> no you don't understand we can't shut down this email you're our last user yeah <laughs> you're keeping us in business we're the ones that have been sending out the erection pills <laughs> I fell for a targeted phishing email once. Oh, really? Yeah. It was one of those click this link and enter something. Oh. But it was pretending to be my Google Drive. Ah. Uh, oh, weird. And um, it was claiming to be sent by someone I know who's um, a little bit famous and doesn't generally have time for more than brief correspondence. So I was, you know, I was on my phone on the bus. I was like, okay, sure, whatever. Click it, see what he wants. But yeah, it was nothing. 
Yeah. And I had to reset a bunch of passwords. I, I had a, I'm going to say cousin. I, like, it's the side of my family that's not very smart. <laughs> like, we were at a wedding and this lady's talking about how proud she is, is of her daughter because she got this new job where she's going to be sent a bunch of money and then she has to do money orders and send them out. Mm. Oh, oh no. That is... <laughs> And then, like, two months later, my mom's talking about it. I was like, yeah, that was the stupidest thing ever. I was like, like, I tried to tell everybody that. And I'm like, no, 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 this is real. Like, no, they send her a bunch of money. She sends out the money orders, and then she's in debt because they're like, okay, now put in a little bit of your money before we pay you. And Yeah. Yeah. My mom called me up once. And my mom lately has, like, really wanted an RV. Like, that's what she wants more than anything. But RVs are pretty expensive, so she's trying to find a deal. And she found this thing on Craigslist and she called me up. She's like, I saw an RV listed on Craigslist, but it was like one tenth the price that RVs normally going for. I'm like, oh, no. And she's like, yeah, it was weird. It was like listed on the my local Craigslist, but the person's in like Colorado. And I'm like, oh, no. She's like, yeah. So they they just wanted me to send them like money orders instead of cash. And then they (laughs) they just bring the RV over. I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) <laughs> and just kept going. She's like, so do you think I should do this? I'm like, oh, thank God she hasn't done it yet. I was <laughs> like, no. Yeah, I, I work at a bank. I don't work in a branch and I don't work with the money in any way, but I work right next to the wires department. And like 50% of their job is like calling the branches and like asking them pointed question and telling them, no, they that <laughs> customer does not want to wire this money. <laughs> Tell them to think about this because we can't refuse. Yeah. Even if we know 100% that it's a scam, unless we think it's in some other way illegal, we can't refuse. It's their money. So we just need, like, we desperately plead with the branch personnel to convince these people not to send this money. So when when I was working for major phone company, (laughs) I had an older woman come in and she had had her social security number taken. Mm-hmm. And they got into her phone account and added a bunch of lines that they were ma- like the phone company was making her pay for them. Oh wow! So we had to get in there and call. I could call them up. It's like take off all these lines. This lady has told you it's identity theft. Like, come on, guys. We have yeah. all the proof that this is identity theft. They changed her address <laughs> so that the phones would be shipped there. And then I said, okay, lock this goddamn account down. Unless this lady or us at this location call, don't yeah. do anything. <laughs> Two months later, they were back in, like, she was back in, like, they did it again. Like, what (laughs) happened? (laughs) I told you. And apparently, like, it was partly her fault because she was giving these people online all this information. She thought they were trustworthy, so she kept on giving them the information over and over again. (laughs) And eventually, I I got to the point where I said to the people at at the phone company, okay, look, unless I call? (laughs) Yeah. Do not change stuff on this lady's account. You just gave yourself power of attorney over her. <laughs> well, she kept on giving like, and she'd give all, all the new passwords and stuff to these people and be like, okay, yes. Thank you for taking care of this for me. Like, ugh. eventually you're going to receive a mysterious letter and you've been written into her will. <laughs> $10 million. Except the phone company got it all. Again, working at a bank, we see a lot of elder abuse. People will get the power of attorney over their grandmother or mother or whatever and then they will just clean out their accounts and yeah. it, they're supposed to use the money to take care of them but uh not well, so they much. took care of them all right yeah. it's uh it's really sad i left you enough money for a pine box grandma <laughs> uh, i mentioned i was trying to sell my mattress once mm-hmm. and the, trying to remember all the details so the guy was like in another state and he wanted to buy it and then later it came up well, I'm also blind, so I'm going to have to send my 
I have to send this other guy down to go pick it up, but I'm going to send this money order first. You can go and cash that. Oh, but my secretary accidentally made it for way too much. So oh, yeah. he's going to take the, the extra. Did you take the extra? Of course. <laughs> Successful mattress sale. <laughs> Not stupid. And I kept the mattress because that, <laughs> that blind dummy never came to pick it up. He didn't know what I looked like. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do, ID me? <laughs> oh, I feel terrible. <laughs> All right, moving on to what are your morals worth? So you've got a medical textbook and a lot of confidence. How much would you need to be rewarded to pick up that textbook and start removing a bullet from a patient? Oh, man, I feel like a bullet removal. I mean, unless it hit a bone and shattered, like if it's just a bullet, I mean, it's a hole. You pull the bullet yeah. out of the hole, you clean it out, and you sew it up. Like, for the most part, that's all there is to it. Let's I'm not- say on a scale from one to ten of bullet removal difficulty, this is a five. Yeah, sure. Right halfway in between there, huh? So there's going to be some complications. It's not going to be as simple as just sewing a straight line. Is it just me in the medical room, or is it? do I have You've like a nurse? Sense? Oh, oh, man, no. if I've got a nurse. God. Yeah. This is not going to be very high. I mean, assume if, if it's me, then... Yeah, I'm their only option, so I don't. I don't think I'd charge very much. I think they'll be okay. <laughs> Certainly better than if I just left the bullet in there. So sure, I can't charge very much because I'm pretty sure this guy's gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to charge a lot to cover your legal fees afterwards. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I'm gonna switch identities and just flee. <laughs> well, let me make this clear. This is a moral question. If you don't do that, the man will get mm-hmm. a competent doctor. Oh, really? <laughs> Oh, well, that's a little I can only charge like 50 bucks. <laughs> I think 10 grand, I'd give that a shot. Because I, I, I am fairly confident. And looking at the book, I'm sure I could do something. But knowing me, I'd, I'd like my shaky hand to be like, whoop. Oh, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I'm just trying to push it out the other side. Hang on. <laughs> God, how did another bullet get in there? <laughs> <laughs> just pull out one bullet and then another and another. I sewed this up in a spiral. <laughs> <laughs> I sewed it up with a zipper so you can open it again later if you want. (laughs) Oh, shit. I wrote my name in the stitches. (laughs) They'll never find me when I remove this identity. (laughs) You said 10 grand? What did did you say? I said 50 bucks. 50 bucks. (laughs) (laughs) I can't accept this money. Not only are you you putting this man's life in danger, he would get a competent doctor if you refused the money, Auntie. (laughs) So you're just doing it for $50. And you're putting his life at risk. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take the $50, accidentally cut him, and then run away. (laughs) You're going to cut him, too? (laughs) Accidentally. He doesn't need a cut. He has a bullet hole. You've got to open it up. It's it's open. It's a hole. I don't have the book yet. Once I have the medical textbook, I'll know how to do this. All right. H-O-L-E. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) And he runs off the boat screaming and flailing. (laughs) Blabble, blabble. <laughs> With a $50 bill in his hand. <laughs> Amputate that shoulder. Thanks for the grant, asshole. <laughs> Maybe I misunderstood the question. <laughs> if, if, that's, if that's the thing, I'll have, I'll have to add a few zeros. So to break my morals, for t- it, like he would get a competent doctor if I just walked away? Yes. 500000 Okay. A man's life, I'll take that for $50. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, I'll tell you what, it's a lot harder to run away screaming and flailing with 500,000. Well, then you have a briefcase or something. You look like a legitimate con man. That guy conned me and gave me a $500,000 bill. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes on him. I killed him. 
He says he has a box, and if you you want to buy it, you can print another one. <laughs> All you have to do is remove this bullet from me. <laughs> hundred thousand. I'd need a cool mill. A million, huh? I think I could do it if I was referencing the textbook. Yeah. Yeah. If I have a good old copy of Grey's Anatomy in front of me. <laughs> I got YouTube. That's <laughs> true. You can find anything on YouTube. It's true. Oh, shoot. This is Necrology 101. Oh, no. Wait oh. a minute. This is Battle Royale. <laughs> all right. I think that's it. Thank you all for joining us today, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks to my co-hosts, and thank you so much for tuning in today. If you would like more information about today's episode, check out our website at acidpoppodcast.podbean.com. You can also find us on Twitter at acidpoppodcast and contact us at acidpoppodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to like, subscribe, and give us all the stars you can. Stay safe out there, and we'll see you next week. Guys, I don't want to alarm anyone, but I think it might be illegal to record podcasts early. <laughs> and I mean, I'm okay, early. but I don't want you guys to get in trouble. <laughs> Hi, Adam. Hello. I'll just set our Zencaster account to the East Coast where it's noon and we'll be fine. <laughs>